Amen. Thank you for that opening. Um, may we all become vessels for Him. So let's pray. Lord, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for all you've given. Lord, that we can trust you, that you care for us, for your son Jesus, who died for us, who took our place on the cross. Lord, may we remember that. We pray that everyone here, that we would all commit our lives completely, fully, fully and completely to you. I pray for your blessing over the word that we, that we have here today. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would use our lives for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> I appreciate that. You know, people were drawn to Jesus. People followed Jesus. And some did for the miracles. Some did because they were curious about who he was, that he was the Messiah. In fact, maybe a lot of them started on that note, but then they grew to love him and to know him as their Savior. So today, my message is about uh, being a witness. I want to speak about being a witness. I want to take my text out of uh, the sec- Ephesians 2. If you want to turn there and follow along. Um, so one of the things that, that's been that's just been on my heart lately is what do we have to share um, as believers, as Christians? What do I have to witness about? And so I want to have today's message about being a witness. And uh, I'll take my text out of Ephesians 2, like I said. And uh, before I start, I want to take a few of us out of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, the ending, starting with verse 20. <clears throat> which, wrought, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So here the writer is speaking about, uh, about Jesus, about his glory and what he did. Uh, When he raised him from the dead, God raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. But hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And here in the first chapter, um, the writer, Paul, writes about uh, how marvelous and and glorious it is that um, Jesus, God in Jesus, humbled himself and did all that he did to save us. What an incredible wonder it is that Jesus is now, Jesus who walked among men, who walked among us, is now at the Father's right hand. And everything on earth was put under him, under his authority, under his feet. He's in authority over the whole earth. So that's, that's the backdrop for chapter 2. And I want to start in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And you have he quickened. You have he, he has quickened, he's made us alive. You have he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins. Wherein, in times past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, 
in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So I'll be covering the whole, the whole of chapter 2. Um, so I'll go through it. So he says, You have been quickened. You've been made alive. You've been made alive. You who were dead. You were dead to trespass and sins. And in times past, and here he's writing to these, uh, these believers who were heathens. They came out of a heathen culture, um, a heathen city. Uh, the, the Ephesus, Ephesians. Um, Ephesus was known as, as one of the, the centers of the world. It was a huge uh, metropolis. Um, lots of idol worship. In Acts, there's this story about the goddess Diana, um, who, was, who was their god. and lots of, uh, 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 It was an evil city for its time. <clears throat> uh, in times past, you lived according to the course of this world. One of the things that, that the Apostle Paul emphasizes here is that we all had our conversation, all of us, every believer, um, had his time in the world. Everyone who comes to Christ to be saved was once lost in the world. And it's, I, I think it's one of, the, one of the basics of our faith that uh, we were all lost. Um, one preacher says you have to get someone lost before you can get them saved. And it's important for every person to recognize that we are lost. We're lost without Him. We're lost in sin. We're lost to destruction. And it's one of the truths of the gospel that we have to understand. You know, some people may look better on the outside. But we've all sinned and are all lost. For most people, it's not hard to see that we're lost and sinful. And in need of a Savior. But for some people, for, for a lot of people who grow up and live in religious settings, who grow up in, even in godly homes, in beautiful homes, in beautiful circumstances, with good parents, and, and never went through a time of deep rebellion, um, it, it can be hard to see that. But one has to get lost before they get saved. The Spirit will convict us of sin in our lives. No matter how good we look and how, how good we, we act and we look around others. And even in our own eyes, we can look really good. But once the Spirit starts working in someone, He brings a conviction of sins. And, <clears throat> and there's always sins in our lives to work on. And, uh, you know, all have sins. Paul, Paul puts himself in this own, in the same boat. We all had our conversation in times past with the lust of the flesh. And, you know, I had to think, what, which lust of the flesh did Paul struggle with? You know, we, we think of Paul, and, and of course, right away we think, okay, he persecuted the church. He had a lot to repent of. And he did. That was, that was a, tremendous, a great evil. But what lust of the flesh did Paul take part in? He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a very, he was a righteous person. He looked righteous, I believe. <clears throat> he had a terrific zeal to do what's right. He had a tremendous zeal to do what was right. And I believe even, even when he was, uh, even when he was persecuting the Christians, it was his zeal to do what he thought was right that drove him. But ultimately he was fighting against God. And against God building his church. He was fighting against the very God he was thinking he served. <clears throat> and in the same way he says. And here he can say all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Even with best of intentions. All have sinned. All have failed. And all are eternally lost without Christ. Eternally lost. 
So verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might shew the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And here he's, he's talking about, he's, he starts speaking about what God does, what God did for us. And he starts with, with the words, but God. You know, in this, and, and in this situation, in this picture, where every person is lost, you have God who comes on the picture. He comes on the scene, rich in mercy, and for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, even when we were dead in sins, he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Here we are, we're, we're dead in sins, and God, through the life and death of Jesus, gives us new life, gives us life. He gives us his life, raises us up together, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, throughout eternity, He might show us the immeasurable grace and kindness to us all. So he, he, God is, he says God redeemed us so that throughout eternity, He can show us, continue to show us His immeasurable kindness and mercy. That's a beautiful picture. And, and the point is there's nothing that we did but rather that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not by anything we did. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not, of work, it's not by works or of works. No one can ever boast of what they did or accomplished by their own strength or their merit. And it's, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting part about, uh, about salvation. That no one can ever brag that they did this and that. And they accomplished this. And they worked so hard. But everybody has to become nothing. To admit that they can't do it on their own. And it puts everything, everybody on the, same, on the same playing field, on the same level, same point. Everybody starts at the same point that they have done. They can do nothing. <clears throat> Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are God's Workmanship. Our life in Christ was created unto good works. We're saved by God through Jesus Christ to be His, His models, His, His examples, His workmanship here on earth. What He has done. His vessels unto good works, which God has ordained for us to do. We're chosen by Him, for Him, to be vessels. For him and by him. And these are these are beautiful truths. These are in, incredible truths. And it's 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 almost the part, it's the part of our faith that truly is almost unbelievable. The part of what we as Christians believe. It's the good news of the gospel. That God truly loves and cares for us as his children. He draws us to himself and he loves each of us. Each of us, as his own sons and daughters, as his own children. Every one of us. So the question I want to place here is, is what, if, what if I don't really feel this? What if I don't feel like this is a reality in my life? 
What changes? If I if it's if it's if I don't feel like well, what does that even mean? Well, first, maybe it's not true for you. Maybe it's not true for some that are in this room. It can only be true for those who have confessed their sins, repented of their sins. And those are two very different processes. A lot of people confuse repentance with confession or mix them together. Confession is to say, to admit that you sinned and to acknowledge it and, and to even say you're sorry. Repentance is to be sorry and to turn away, to turn away from sin, from things that are sin in your life. And the focus in repentance is not so much that you turn away from sin, but you turn to God. It's, it's, repentance means to turn around. So before someone is serving sin, they're serving themselves, they're serving whatever. But when someone repents, they turn around and they start serving God. They start, they start following after God and what He wants in, in their lives. And the focus is, 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 it can't be so much, or it shouldn't be so much to stop doing this and stop doing that, to, to clean up this in my life, um, whatever, this whole list of things, okay? I cleaned up my life, I stopped smoking, I stopped going out to bars, I stopped whatever. Um, and I'm trying to stop this and, and stop that. That's not really repentance, that's improvement, Okay, repentance is turning to God. It's turning to God and seeking after Him and, and looking for His will in our lives. Seeking Him. And so, so these truths, the, the thing we spoke about, to have our name written in the book of life, to be the sons of God, to be the daughters of God, it's only, for true, it's only true for those who surrender their lives to Christ. They accept Jesus as their Lord and King. We receive the life of Christ. When we accept Jesus our Lord, we surrender our lives to Him. We accept, we, and He gives us His life. He puts His life, His Spirit inside us. And He walks with us and directs us. And leads us. And teaches us in all things. So is it real? Is it true? It's a question everyone has to answer for themselves. Nobody can really answer that for you. You can look pretty good to those around you. But you yourself really you know the answer. I believe you do. No one can really answer for you. And I don't think anyone really should should try and get you to say the right words and get you and then proclaim okay yes because you have to really truly surrender in your heart you have to give yourself your life to him and nobody can do it for you nobody can take it from you nobody can force you or even convince you if you don't surrender <clears throat> but it should be evident to the people around you, to those who interact with you, that that life is inside you. Am I really seated with Christ in heavenly places? Am I really His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works? And some of these truths, a lot of these, these scriptures, the promises of Christ, of, with the resources he makes available to his people, they're hard to, they're hard to grasp for, for even mature believers that we are truly the sons of God and he has seated us. That's past tense. We are seated with him in heavenly places. It's hard to believe. The promises of God to his sons and his daughters that we are fellow heirs of Christ. 
part of the immediate family of God. Really his sons and daughters. Really. Sons of God. That we are heirs with Christ. That means we're fellow heirs. That means we're receiving that what, what Jesus received when he came into heaven. The, his heir, his, his inheritance. We're going to receive a part of that inheritance. It's for us. We're part of the family. It's hard to believe. It's hard to, to wrap our head around. <clears throat> his own spirit. His own, the spirit, the Holy Spirit inside our hearts and our lives. But, you know, as, as, even as Christians, as, as true believers, we all come to the times and we all go through phases when we, when we don't feel it. When we just don't feel it. We go through, we'll go through hard times. And a lot of, time, a lot of these, these times, that it doesn't make it less real. It doesn't really change our position so a lot of times if we don't feel it. It is a walk of faith. <clears throat> There's times when we struggle to connect. When it starts to feel distant and when, when it starts to feel empty. I think we all go through these times. And I, I believe it's part of the journey. Like the, in, in Songs of Solomon, there's this story about a king and his, uh, and his lover. And he, he calls and he, he, he woos this, this lover. And, and it's kind of this love story where they want to be together and spend time with each other. And it's a picture of our lives, um, our lives and our Christian walk. <clears throat> and at a certain point in the story, um, they get disconnected. They get, they get apart. And then there's this pursuit where this, this, this girl is looking for her king, for her husband, or her lover. And she, but, but he's not there. But he wants her to pursue him. And in, I believe in Christianity... It's the same way. God wants us to pursue Him, to seek Him. And there's this, this uh, where, <clears throat> okay, I don't want to say, I want to be very careful and say that God draws away. Um, but I think in, in some sense He does. And it could be that we ourselves um, we ourselves grown cold. That could be the, the source of the problem. Um, we grow cold. We, we lose interest. We get distracted with things. And then suddenly we wake up and it feels cold. Our Christian walk, it, uh, our relationship to Christ, it feels cold. There's no disconnect. And I believe a lot of times the problem is um, the, the other things we pursue, the things we put ahead of Christ, the things we put ahead of that relationship. <clears throat> when we feel that's... And, and I, I think that's almost always the, the source of the struggle, of the, of the disconnect. And it's not so much that he, that he is further away. God is always the same yesterday and today and forever. And yet... He, but He wants us to pursue Him, to always draw after Him, to seek Him. <clears throat> and I, uh, I want to touch about on feelings a little bit for a moment. Um, what should we feel? And I, I believe feelings are important, tremendously important. Most of our existence, our relationships, our interactions with others are based on feelings. If there's no feelings um, as a human, you're just, you're not real. <laughs> you're really disconnected from reality. You cannot separate your Christianity from feelings. We should be feeling and knowing and sensing 
Um, you know, if I think if you've never felt the peace of God or a surge of joy and love or even a heavy and a repentant heart, those are all feelings. We, we have to at least um, at least feel the results of our faith in God. Otherwise, it's not real. I mean, some people say we're, um, we're half spirit and half body, or something along those lines. We're spiritual beings. There's something very spiritual about human beings, something that sets us eons apart from any animal. And that's the spiritual aspect. It's the feelings. It's the, the sensations <clears throat> that we have. So in, in our faith, our Christian, our faith, I mean, it shouldn't, it obviously we can't base our faith on our feelings, especially if our feelings go like this. Some people's feelings go like this throughout the day, <laughs> up and down, all over the charts, like a little child. Uh, more mature people, their feelings, uh, their feelings uh, level out a little bit in, in maturity, you know, where you don't go all over the charts in a couple hours, in a, in a, in a few minutes. <clears throat> okay, but it's just, um, there's the, the, this thing has come up that our feel, what, what do you do with feelings? What do you do if you don't feel it? I think we should seek more. Seek a deeper reality. Of course, we don't build our faith on, on feelings. We're building our faith on the promises of the Word, on, on His promises, on that he, that he is what He says He is. But is not love a feeling? Love, joy, peace. Well, some people say you choose to love. Well, if you're just choosing to love, you're missing something. You're really missing something in your relationships if there's no feeling. <clears throat> it's not joy a feeling. It's not peace a feeling. <laughs> it is. It, it, we are. Feelings are what make our life real and meaningful. And like I said, of course, we can't build our lives on what we feel uh, all the time. But we're, we build by faith on the promises. And in a lot of times, sometimes in life, we have to walk out by faith and go against our feelings, against what our brain tells us makes sense. That's stepping out by, by, by uh, that's stepping out by faith. But yeah, feelings are, are are a huge part of our life, and our faith. It's a real faith. If it's a real faith. If, if we truly believe what we say, if we truly believe and we're living the life God expects us to live, it'll affect every area of our lives. Especially our feelings, especially our outlook on life, especially how we interact with people. So, amen. Um, so, verse 11, going on. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. In that, so here he's speaking, he's, he's addressing Gentiles here, um, which Paul a lot of times had a, 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 mixed, a mixed audience where they were part Jews, part Gentiles. These seem to be mostly Gentiles. Um, and uh, he's talking about the circumcision and the uncircumcision, which are the Jews calling the, the Gentiles, <clears throat> this and that. And he points out that in time, that at that time, he were without Christ, he were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ, now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. 
for so he's speaking about that the Gentiles they were brought into the commonwealth of Israel um, and they were made a part of the promise the promised children the children of God <clears throat> for he is our peace who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto, both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. <clears throat> For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So he's again he's speaking about the Jews and Gentiles. There we we all we're all familiar with the conflict that was there, um, the Jews accepting the Gentiles um, as as the children of God. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. And here's the the, the closing line of that argument. You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of saints, with the saints of the household of God. And are built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom, all, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So he's that that we all become the children of God. And then he draws this picture of God building this this building, this I picture a temple with all these stones that are fitting together, and he is the chief cornerstone on which everything is built. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. <clears throat> so, you know, with such an indescribable faith, with, with all these promises, where we claim we have an almighty God who wants to have us for his own children, where God frees, a God who frees us from the bondage of sin, where we went from strangers and foreigners to fellow citizens and saints of the household of God. You know, when you think about it, we should be bubbling over with the excitement of this situation. <laughs> um, we should, by all reason, scarce be able to maintain, to contain from ourselves from telling everyone we meet. And that's, it's one of the things that uh, bugs me a little bit in my life. I have to, I have to uh, confess. It's one of the things I, I struggle with. And I pray that, that God would give us grace to, to be that people who freely, um, who freely share and, and reach out. You know, for some reason, most people, for most people, the excitement wears off. The excitement of the conversion of that, of that relationship, that incredible relationship, it wears off. No matter how exciting some might seem. In fact, um, there's this, this when, when someone is excited about being converted a lot of times... Um, Older believers will just uh, a lot of times lean back and say, oh, oh well, you wait a few months, a few weeks, it'll wear off. We'll become like us. <laughs> uh, it's not good. Um, but excitement does wear off. Things that are things that once excite us, if if we if we're around it, if we're around things that are no matter how amazing they are, how amazing a machine is, how amazing uh, a scenery is, how amazing something is, 
something new that we come against, come upon, um, we grow accustomed to it. The menches you get you get used to things. Um, it's like someone who lives in the in the Rocky Mountains, in the beautiful Rocky Mountains out west. You walk out every day, and it's just, and and they're just they don't even notice. It's just another day in the mountains. They live there every day. In fact, the winding roads and the all the trees and it becomes an annoyance to them. And somebody coming out there and visiting is just awestruck and just can't get enough and is taking all these pictures and can't stop taking pictures, trying trying to capture something a phone can never capture. But there's there's an excitement, there's it's it's beautiful. It's great. It's amazing. It's like someone living next to the ocean. If somebody, we go to the ocean and it's, it's amazing. Just, you just listen to the smells, the, 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 the ocean, the waves, the wind. But for someone who lives there, it's just, it's just the ocean. I know people who live half a mile from the ocean and they scarcely go there uh, once a year, every six months. It's like, why would you go there? <laughs> uh, but you go there and you're like, well, what's wrong with you? How can you not? But to them, it's just, you know, it it's, might be more of an annoyance that the, the totally irregular weather patterns, the constant wind, um, the things that come with the un- unpredictability of the ocean, it, uh, it can become an But to us, to someone who comes there one time, it's beautiful. It's when it, when it, when you first see it, it's amazing. So there is that in us. I think in all of us, where where it wears off, where the excitement of the, and and that's why I believe it's important for us to read scriptures, to read a passage like Ephesians, like the one we just read, and ponder it. Like, wow, this is this is. This is what these promises are. This is what it's saying. <clears throat> but some days, sometimes, you find I, I find myself wondering what what do I have to share with anyone? What is what do I have to share with anyone? You know, I have my own issues. I have my own failures, I have my own list of problems, my, my things I'm trying to overcome and dealing with, my struggles. The struggle is real. But those things, those struggles, they can never become the focal point of our lives. We can never, as believers, we can never get lost in the struggle. There will always be a struggle. There will always be a battle. If we get caught up in the struggle, we become inverted, critical, self-absorbed, even depressed. And you can't be a light. You can't be a witness to people. You can't show people what you really believe if you are those things. If you if you're if you're if other people see you as depressed, you don't have anything to sell. You have don't have anything anyone's interested in. I'm sorry. <clears throat> of course, our lives need to reflect what we say we believe. That's our witness. That's our ultimate witness. That's what people are looking for. People in today's world aren't looking for a good story. I don't think they ever have. People are looking for something that works. And if we don't have our lives as proof to show people what we believe and what God has done for us, what do we have? What can we show people? What do we have for a witness? Our Christian witness, our lives, is not that we are perfect. It's not that we look perfect. It's not that we do not make mistakes. It's not that. Yes, we aspire to be like Jesus. We're striving 
to be perfect. We want to be like Him. As believers, we should. That should be our, our goal. That should be what we're going for. Jesus called us to be perfect. He said, be perfect as I am perfect. It's a high calling. But inevitably, we'll all, shall, we'll all fall short. We run into failures. We struggle. If you're a Christian, it's a real, there's a real battle going on. If you're truly uh, fighting for the Lord, there is a battle. You'll find there, there's an enemy out there. <clears throat> if you haven't realized there's a battle... There is one. There's the world, there's the flesh, there's our flesh and the devil. All those three categories fighting against you, fighting against us. There's a battle going on. In Christ we can overcome. In Christ, in His promises, if we trust and we rely on Him and we hold to Him, we can overcome, we can be perfect. Even if only for short periods of time. There will be mistakes, that's no doubt. <clears throat> it's inevitable that we'll fail in some areas, but we shouldn't be discouraged. God is on our side. All the power in heaven and earth is available to help us overcome, to help us grow. We can't allow ourselves to be discouraged when we fail. But <clears throat> I want to say that our witness, a large part of our witness is that we have changed. The things, the areas where we have changed. Where we can pro proclaim that once we were that, and now we are this. Now we are different. We have changed. Christ changes people. He makes people... His, his heart is to make everybody into His image. To work in us. To change us into beautiful people. That are a blessing to all those around them. And it's tremendously encouraging for us uh, as Christians to look back at what Christ has done for us. To look at our lives and see what has He done for us. Sometimes just stop and do that. Like Paul said in the passage we just read in, in verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And here Paul, he, he's, he's highlighting that this is, this is who you were. This is who you were. That's, that's who you were trying to be. You were living that life. We should remember what we are saved from. Ponder. It's good to ponder, I believe, sometimes where we would be. If... Had you continued without surrendering your life to Christ. That's our testimony. That's a large part of our testimony. That we, that we have been changed. That we've already changed this much. What we have become through Christ's intervention in our life. I find it, I find it refreshing sometimes to ponder where I would be without Christ in my life. Maybe that shouldn't be refreshing, but <laughs> our testimony is that we have changed and we are changing. Not so much that we're perfect. Not that we're perfect. We'll probably never be completely perfect. But we are changing. It's a journey. The life is a journey. Sometimes listening to, to someone's testimony, they, it, they go on and on. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying testimonies. We don't share enough testimonies. But um, some testimonies, they'll have a, they go on and on about the, the sinful and evil adventures they had all their lives. And then they'll close with a, with a few sentences on that now they're changed and converted. And it's, it's backward to me. We shouldn't be highlighting those things. The power of the gospel is that it truly changes people into Christ-like people. That is what should be our testimony. That we're changing. 
Not that we're perfect, not that we have all the answers, but that we are being changed into his likeness. <clears throat> and that we will continue to change. I think one of the clearest marks of a, of a true believer is that they're easily corrected. They're ready to acknowledge when they made a mistake or when they failed. They're quick to repent. They understand. They understand that they're on a journey and that they're far from having arrived. And that's for all of us. It's, it's one of the things I've, I've taken notice of that the more, the more mature a, believers, a believer is, the, the more they realize how insufficient they are, how far they have to go. And it's not, and, and we shouldn't, it shouldn't discourage us. It's not, it's not meant in that way. But the closer we come to Christ, the more we realize how much we lack, how much we need, um, how much we fall short from His perfect and ultimate example. <clears throat> but ultimately, in my closing point here, I want to say as a witness, the conclusion I came to is that we're not, we're not witnessing, we're not presenting ourselves. In part we are. In part we should all be this example. We all need to be this example of what Christ can do. What Christ has done. What Christ is doing in our lives. But ultimately, to be a witness is to be a witness for Christ. To present Jesus. To be a witness for God. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, um, we are called ambassadors for Christ. He calls it ambassadors, if you're... Familiar, we're, I think we're all familiar with the term am, ambassador. Am, an ambassador is an accredited diplomat. Accredited. They're, they're approved. So an ambassador is not just somebody you pick up off the street. There's somebody who's accredited. They have met criteria. They have, uh, they have passed the test. They have been approved. An accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. That's an ambassador, an official, an official representative. And we're called to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, ambassadors of the king. And who does an ambassador represent? They represent the opinion of their country and their king and president. Um, here, I think a few years back in the news, there was this, this, this ambassador, I don't know, Ukraine or Russia, and she clearly did not hold the opinion of the, standing pre of the sitting president. And uh, she was fired. Boom. And there was a big row because, you know, all the politics involved. But in reality, if she doesn't represent the position of the king, of the president, of the country, what's she doing there? She was the wrong ambassador. She needed to be replaced. Her job is to represent her president, her country, and her people. She thought maybe she represented the people, but she didn't represent the sitting president. And whatever, I, I don't want to go into that story. It, maybe I got some facts wrong too, but take it as an example. <laughs> In the same way, 
May we be true representatives of our King. Of our King. You know, if we're a Christian, we have an incredible message to share. An incredible message to share. And it's not, it's not our story. We can have an incredible story of our own. And we all should. And people we, we meet, I believe, will be looking for, for an example of where this is a reality. Okay, what you're seeing about your king. That might all be true, but where is the evidence of it being lived out? And people will ask that question. <clears throat> so if we can't show if we can't show our people by our lives uh, what we say is real and it's true, they probably won't believe us. So they have to go in unison. They have to go together. But we. We, have, we, sh- we should also remember that we are representatives of Jesus, representatives of the King. We should be witnesses of His story, of His work here on earth. The greatest witness is not in beautiful, beautifully articulated words, but it's the witness of a life that has been changed. And continues to be changed into the image of likeness of Christ. And it continues. And that journey will continue. We'll never be at the place where we can say, I can be your example. Well, maybe we will. Paul came to that place. But I I couldn't phrase that in the right, how I wanted to. We should be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Like Paul did. I believe that. We should all be able to say that as Christians. But that doesn't mean that we've reached perfection. It did not mean in Paul that he had reached perfection. It meant that he was going this direction. And there was no question about it. And if you start heading the direction that Paul was going. You would come to Christ. And it doesn't mean that you've arrived. But people should be able to look at our lives and we should be able to say to people, maybe we probably don't want to go around, around it. It sounds maybe a little presumptuous, but follow me as I follow Christ. Live, life, live your life in such a way that people can follow you. And that's a beautiful witness. So amen. May we be a witness of what Christ has done and what he is continuing to do in our lives and in his church here on earth. So amen. I'd like to open it up for sharing.